Hey friends, welcome to the Barrington Area Banter, the place to get to know the people and places of Barrington. We're coming to you from Gray Wolf Records with Anthony Lackis, our trusty producer. I am your hostess, Jennifer Flatt, and we have Ed Scobie in the studio today. And Ed is a partner in Ironwood Family Wealth Advisors. Thank you, Ed, for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. I think so. We've already had a lot of fun talking, right? <laughs> yeah. So hopefully the best part's still coming. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And <laughs> that done. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I have lived in Barrington for, gosh, going on almost 28 years now. Hard to believe, right? Married young, had kids young. My wife Emily and I uh, first lived in Jewel Park for a number of years, and then maybe five, six years ago, we moved to North Barrington. We found a little uh, mid-century gem that we're in the process of renovating right now, nice. and it's... Uh, we're now empty nesters. Again, we got an early start on all of this. Yeah, how um, many children do you have? We've got three. Uh, they're it's kind of funky, but they're three. Uh, all three are six years apart. So I've got a <clears throat> get ready for this. I've got a thirty-three-year-old, a twenty-seven-year-old, and a twenty-one-year-old. Okay, now you really don't look like you have a child that old. You're <laughs> oldest, but well, you know, it's I, I always Again, joke that young. it's just <laughs> I know I, I I always make the joke that it's just the way God gives them to you, you know. So, yeah. it, but it's great. It, it's absolutely fantastic and i wouldn't change it for the world yeah that's great and, yeah. and they live do some of them live out of state your kids? all of them live out of state yeah so my oldest is a chef in los angeles oh that's fun he lived in uh telluride colorado for gosh seven or eight years after he graduated from indiana university in bloomington it was one of those things where he wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do and a friend of his said hey you like skiing and mountain climbing why don't we you know get together and get a place. And, you know, one thing led to another. He was a busboy, he worked his way up, and then he was a chef de cuisine, as they call it, in French cooking. And so he was the head of a, a French restaurant there. Anyways, he kind of got small townitis after a while and said he wanted to live in a bigger place. And I, I've got a ton of family out in Los Angeles. So he lived with my sister for a while and, and got another job at another French restaurant uh, in, in Los Angeles. Um, Andrew now though is going to be going into law school, um, this fall. So, okay. so he's my oldest, my middle child, Will is a winemaker. Uh, he started out with Francis Ford Coppola wow. up in Sonoma County. And now he works for, uh, a winery called Ferrari Carano. And did you bring some today? No, but I will. <laughs> yeah. But so his, and he's done like internships in New Zealand and stuff. So his sort of like specialty wine is Sauvignon Blanc. That's what he uh, learned how to make down in New Zealand, and that's what he's doing at Ferrari Carano. And then my baby, my youngest, I should say, uh, just turned 21 um, in February. She is a junior uh, finance major at Loyola Marymount University, which is in Los Angeles. So, yeah, all three kids over there. Yeah, do you think that you'll eventually be heading West or do you well, think it'll you know, be? It's, yeah, I don't know. It's tempting because, you know, we don't quite know where our kids are going to end up. I mean, I, I guess my winemaker son's going to end up in California, but then he's like, gosh, there's parts of Oregon and Washington state that he loves. You know, all three of my kids are kind of outdoorsy, so they want to be around nature. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to know, you know, I love being here in Barrington though. So, and I love, you know, just, there's just something that's so settling about being here. Uh, West Coast is a lot different in many respects, as nice as it is. I just feel like this is my home, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think it's, what you're saying is exciting for your kids, though, because it makes me makes me almost like you think back about what would you like to have done, and they're doing it. Yeah, to be out there to me, that's exciting. Yeah, and that mm -hmm. and I and I tell you what, you can learn from your kids, and and that sort of immediacy of just going out and doing things. I think we as adults are, are just so programmed to be responsible and, and the opposite of impulsive, like planned out. And I think sometimes just saying, ah, the heck with it. Let's, you know, go do something nutty. is something that you have to do. You know, you know it, and they're at the right age, though. They're doing it while they're and none of them are married, obviously. Right. I'm guessing. No, OK. No. So when they have that time now. You know, there's going to come a time if they're married and have kids that they're not going to be able to. Absolutely. Yeah. So just on that point, and I know that we have a lot to talk about, but on that point, my son, Andrew, the one who's going to go to law school here in the fall, he asked me over, you know, the holidays, he's like, hey, do you want to go climb a mountain with me? And I said, sure. 
Duh. <laughs> it, I, you're jumping with both feet without thinking about it, right? That's great. <laughs> so, and this is for him, you know, we're going to go to central Colorado with some other Barrington uh, it, it, dads. It's going to be kind of like a father-son thing. And, um, you know, I've never done anything quite like that. But for him, he knows he's going to law school and he's going to have three years of just, you know, tons of work. When he gets out, he'll be an associate at a law firm someplace. And so he, this is his last opportunity to do anything like this. That's awesome, Ed. Yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited for you. No, I look forward I'm, to your pictures. I can't wait. It's, yeah. it's going to be great. When are you so, going? Uh, it's going to be the middle of um, July. Okay. So, yeah. So. Wow. Well, that sounds exciting. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I love traveling and I love the idea. I, I love hearing other people's travel stories and where they want to yeah. go and have gone because uh, you, can, um, you can just picture it and... I don't know. It's it's fun. <laughs> oh, I know. And and there's not enough years left to see all the places that you might want to see. I mean, so it's just kind of like when people talk about bucket list places, like where would you want to go, right? So and yeah. I've got way too many places to go. So <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. There's so much out there. I feel that every podcast interview we talk about traveling with the guests, and every time people have gone to great places and want to go. And oh yeah. I just think it's. I don't know. Some people don't like to travel. I can't wrap my head around not wanting to get out there and see the world. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. So, yeah. So anyway, so I'm sorry. So I got, we got off track there. That's Oops. my fault. I do that. No, I do that all the time. So, um, actually there's no real track. We're just having a conversation. So yeah. it's all good. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your professional background then. Sure. You, you are a partner in Ironwood Family Wealth Advisors. Yes. And how long have you been with them or did you help start them? Well, I, started, I helped starting the firm. I'll, I'll try to make this quick. So my background is actually in science. Uh, I studied evolutionary biology at the University of Illinois and I was going to go into research. So I had this time between going to grad school. My dad said, hey, do you want to start a company? And I said, sure. Yeah, it's 22, 23, whatever. <clears throat> And um, one thing led to another, and I started a company with some friends, and I just l- fell in love with entrepreneurship. Like, this is the greatest thing in the world, owning your own company. It's the best thing. But even along the way, as the company was growing and getting bigger, um, I knew that I wanted to go into wealth management. So I started studying for my CFP, Certified Financial Planner designation, even while I was running this company. Sold the company in 2007, sat for the CFP exam, which I passed, thankfully, uh, and then I came into this industry. I worked for a firm called Robert W. Baird in downtown Chicago for several years, where I was something called a senior investment consultant, did post-grad stuff at the University of Chicago Business School. Um, in any event, so my partner at Ironwood, Dave Andrews, great guy, uh, lives nearby. Um, he and I would take the train in every day. He worked for J.P. Morgan. I worked for Baird. And at some point, we're looking at each other going, well, why are we doing this? Why don't we just strike out on our own? So that was back in uh, 2010 that we started our firm. So we're coming up on 13 years of working together, actually, this month. So Wow. Did you meet on the train, or did you know Dave Oh, I knew Dave because we lived in the same neighborhood. And I'd see him just a real, really good guy, you know, super bright. His world was more of the banking, um, understanding, you know, how, how to work with people with lots and lots of money. And mine was more on the investment side and understanding how business owners work. So we gel very well in that respect. And you just both walked away from careers yeah. to start I tell this. you what, it was, wow. I, I tell you, it, it, was, it was a challenge. I mean, you, I had one in college already, right? Paying out-of-state tuition. Um, and Dave wasn't very far behind me. But you leave empty-handed and, you know, yeah. you, you bring clients over slowly. But, you know, we had enough faith in what we had to offer people that, you know, it, it, it pulled us through. And now we're doing very well, um, very happy with, you know, what we have, uh, our clientele here. Uh, I wouldn't say that we're 100% Barrington-focused, but I would say 70% of our clients live in this area. So it's, it's really cool. It's almost like if you'll uh, pardon sort of a corny expression, it's like, you know, Marcus Welby was this doctor on TV and he took care of his community. That's sometimes how Dave and I feel about the people of Barrington and the work we do for them. Wow. Well, that's nice. I'm sure people are, Barrington should be happy to know you have their back. (laughs) So who would be your typical client at, at Ironwood? Well, so we have a couple different types of clients. Um, we have clients that we've gotten to know sort of organically 
through our involvement in Barrington living here, you know, the, just the people that, you know, that, that trust you. And, and then I would say it, speaking for myself, I'd say 70 to 80% of my clients are business owners. Again, going back to this love of entrepreneurship that I have and feeling that, you know, I can understand business owners well. So. Okay. So then are, are you helping them with their, their private family investments though, or are you also doing something with the businesses? Everything. So what I consider to be the perfect engagement, excuse me, would be like, let's say that I've got a, uh, a dentist in private practice or a business owner who is a consultant or even, uh, you know, uh, an attorney who's in practice with two or three other partners kind of thing. Yes, on the business side, there's a lot we can do for them. We can take a look at sort of fixing their retirement plan so that it benefits the owners. We can carve out a lot of costs and things of that nature. And then on the personal side, because we're talking uh, business owners here, there's some creative things that we can do there. Perhaps their children would like to be employed by their firms. There are some things we can do in that respect. Um, perhaps if a business owner wants to make sure that his or her business doesn't have any exposure to the business if something were to happen on the business side, we can help that person sort of title assets in a way that they're held away. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the other thing is business owners by and large have a lot more creativity when it comes to saving for retirement because there are different types of plans that they can put in again that are sort of specific to them and their circumstances. Yeah, and they need to be creative because we don't have like my husband and I are both self-employed. Yes, we don't have company four hundred one ks. I mean, I actually have some from before when I worked yeah. in corporate, but not. It's been years. Right, and it's and and although the corporate side, you know, and this is where Dave Andrews is is excellent at this. He worked at eighteen uh, for eighteen years at J P Morgan, so he understands the corporate side as well. Um. You know, doing like options, stock options and, and stock grants and all that kind of stuff. He's excellent at that and, and figuring out. So if there's a corporate executive who says, gosh, I'm in my 40s or 50s or whatever, and I need to kind of get this stuff ironed out. That's what he's really good at is, is game planning, all of that stuff. So, But then the other thing about business owners is most business owners hope to monetize their business. And it sounds kind of like an icky word, but the, the fact is you build up equity in your business. Think of somebody who, you know, here in Barrington might own a, a family-owned dry cleaner uh, business or something like that, and they've put years and years into this brand and who they are and, and, you know, their client base and all that kind of stuff. At some point when they retire, you know, by, you know, all rights, they want to realize some value from that. Sure. So we can do that as well. You know, we can get them in front of the right people that will help them do business valuations and again, how to structure this in such a way that's tax advantageous to them. Very interesting. Yeah. It's a lot of it's probably way above my head, but <clears throat> I enjoy hearing about it and and trying to wrap my head around no, it. I like to in- yeah, understand yeah. things. So. No, right. But if you're a business owner, I mean, I, I think people are so like face down in their work that they don't think about, well, what happens 10 years from now or 20 years from now when I want to walk away from this? How do I kind of get things lined up in such a way that... I have employees they are going to be taken care of. I've got clients they're going to be taken care of. And oh yeah, my family's also going to be taken care of too. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I, mean, I understand what you're saying. I just mean like how you would even do that. I couldn't even grasp how. So it's great that there's professionals and experts out there. Yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of modeling that goes on where we'll take somebody's situation now, have a look at it. If they're, they've got some assets that they've put away and they're, you know, we can encourage them to save more for retirement or whatever. And then really just sitting down with them and saying, hey, this is what this looks like if you stay on this path. Um, And it might turn out to be perfect for them. But oftentimes we find that if we can change a few things around, we can encourage them, let's say, to save more or to, um, you know, be a little bit more sensitive to their own tax situation. Perhaps they could walk away from their business a little bit earlier or, you know, make their business in better shape for whomever comes in and buys it. Yeah, sure. No, that's great. Um, so since you're a money man here, I'm going to ask you a little bit about the economy and what's sure. happening right now. We've had some, yeah. um, the, some bank failings, and I know it's not really a new thing, but they seem bigger now. Yeah. It seems they're headlines now. Right. So what kind of, um, what do you think's happening? 
Well, the short, I know that's a generic question. No, 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 that's okay. So just the short, shortest answer I could say is, okay, coming out of COVID, as you know, there was a lot of money dumped into the economy, for better or worse. Some people, it helped them out. They could get loans and stuff to keep their businesses going, keep their employees, uh, you know, without having to lay them off. So there was some good that came of it. But when the shoe dropped, we had this massive wave of inflation, Okay. And when there's inflation, one of the things the Federal Reserve does, our central bank, is to raise interest rates to try to cool the economy. So if you look at SVB, the bank in California that failed, they took in more deposits than they knew what to do with. And they said, gosh, we have all this money sloshing around. What do we do with it? So someone got the idea, hey, let's start investing in different types of bonds, government bonds. The problem is that some of the stuff that they invested in didn't really anticipate the rate rises that the Federal Reserve was going to do, okay? So the net effect of that, if I could put this in lay terms, is that all of a sudden on their balance sheet, they had these assets that someday are going to be worth a lot of money, but right now today are not going to be worth, you know, if they had to do a fire sale liquidation, they would be underwater. Word got around because... Silicon Valley Bank depositors, by and large, were people in that area, and they did all sorts of banking with them, not just business banking, but also like home loans and personal loans. Word got around that there was some trouble. So it was almost like that scene in It's a Wonderful Life where everyone shows up mm -hmm. at the window and, you yeah, know. bank run. Right, right, exactly. And so word gets around, and that's what happened. And now, fortunately, I think it's pretty isolated. There are a couple other banks, Signature Bank in New York and a couple others that kind of ran into the same trouble where they had all this money and they wanted to make more, so they deposit, uh, they invested it in a certain way. And then they kind of got caught when the tide went out. You know, there's a saying Warren Buffett says about like, you know, it's like when the tide goes out, that's how you know who's wearing, you know, a bathing suit. Mm -hmm. Some of these people got caught. And, and then, as you know, the Federal Reserve, along with the Treasury, um, kind of put together a package that said, hey, we're going to make everyone whole, even if they're above the deposit limits, which is $250,000 right. you know, for, for most depositors. So the bad news about that is that ends up going back on the U.S. balance so the, sheet. Yeah, the taxpayers. So, so, so there's no free lunch in this. Right. But then I think, you know, uh, they have to weigh Okay, so what's the greater good here? Do we just let this thing crater and then, you know, a company like Roku that's got literally half a billion dollars of deposits in one bank, they're going to go under and there might be a ripple effect. They're going to have to lay off all of these people. So, yeah, and, and but I believe that there's going to be a, you know, a, a moment of truth where these people who ran this bank are going to have to get before the Senate Finance Committee and some other people and kind of explain what they did. And then law will be created as it was back during the great financial crisis of 2008-2009. Which, ironically, if that had not happened, this thing with SVB and Signature Bank would have been a lot worse. So some of the things that happened back then actually shored up the banking um, industry and made this kind of you know, ring-fenced it a little bit. Okay, well, that was a great explanation. Um... Yeah, we had a lot of conversation about this in my home. You know, my yeah. son is very interested in in everything, basically. Yeah. So he, um, we get this magazine, and it was, I won't say the name of it, but my son was reading the article. He reads it all the time, and he was just um, very curious. Yeah. As to how this is going to play out, and I didn't know that they covered over the two fifty. I know two fifty is FDIC insured, but I didn't know. Yeah. And my son always asks like technical questions that I don't have the answers to. So maybe I should I should have written down his questions and brought them for you right now, actually, or had him here <laughs> to ask you. But um, yeah. actually, you're going to do a financial talk. Yes. Um, for at the library coming up. Yep. So I'm going to have him have those questions for you then. Great. That'll be awesome. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, that's coming up soon. You're going to have. Um, I'm not sure how many kids yet. I have to. I haven't made the flyer for it. Yeah. But we're going to talk about that, and um, you're going to answer their questions and give a little workshop or seminar. Yeah, we'll talk about a lot of different things. That's yeah. great. So what kind of, um, what basic financial advice could you give our listeners? Okay. Whatever so comes to mind. if I were to make this sort of age appropriate, <clears throat> um, this is universal. And I don't care if you're worth $100 million or $100. Live within your means. Defer 
or delay gratification. And I know that's incredibly hard to do, especially if you're young, because you see your friends and you want to go to Starbucks and you want to buy stuff and, you know, that whole thing. And then when you're an adult, of course, it's, I want to have a new car. I want to go on vacation at such and such place. So that one's very difficult. But the flip side of it is debt is really counterproductive. And once you get in debt because you're spending, you know, above your level, it takes a very long time to get out of that. So that's, a, that's, that's one for everybody. Um, if I were talking to someone who was a young adult, I would say start saving as early as you can, um, whether it's for retirement, which young people don't really think about, or it's you want to save up to buy something. And there's a couple reasons that saving early is so important. The, fr- the first thing is, if you think about compounding, right, how money grows over time, if you get an early start, you're going to come out way ahead. I mean, there are studies that will show you that if you put away as much money as you can the first 10 years of your adult life, you know, say 21, 22 to 31, 32, you will actually have more money when you retire than if you didn't save anything for the first 10 years and you put away a lot more per year, you know, in in your 30s and early 40s. Think about that. So being able to put money away working for you is as early as possible is, is super important from a compounding standpoint. And then the other thing is, you know, hey, listen, even if it's 10 or 20 bucks a paycheck, you're creating this habit. Mm-hmm. If I just say, gosh, I, I'm, I'm going to put five bucks in, 10 bucks in if you're a kid, something like that, you're creating this habit, you know, this discipline of doing it. And again, a lot of people don't think about this until they're a little bit older, and then it's kind of like, oops, they have to pedal to catch up. The last thing that I would tell you about, and this goes back to kids, kids and money. You know, I've done a few things on kids and money um, over my career, but, and, and, and some people might disagree with me on this, um, but I think it's important to involve kids in money decisions. You know, that's at an age-appropriate level. So, for example, when my daughter was in high school, I said she's a finance major now, um, I had her pay the family bills. <laughs> and I, not only that, I said, hey, here's a couple credit card statements. Can you sift through these and organize them and tell us how much we're spending on groceries, how much we're spending on eating out, how much we're spending, spending on clothing? And it's a real eye-opener. And now I know a lot of families wouldn't want to do that. That's fine. But I do think not getting your kids involved, not having conversations that are age-appropriate about money might lead to problems later, like avoidance, like, oh, geez, I don't want to have to, you know, deal with this. I'm, I'm afraid of my own shadow. You know, my daughter, maybe it's just her personality, but because of our conversations and stuff that I ha- have had her do, she's very comfortable with it, you know? You know, she she loves finance. She, she has a really cool job. She works on a team and, you know, does accounting work. And for her, it's just as, as natural as, as, you know, speaking English or something. Yeah, Ed, I love everything you said. I do, and I kept I have to hold my tongue. I feel sometimes I talk so much during these interviews, and oh, I'm no, interviewing I, I, you. I got you I, covered on that one. But I know, but really, I do, and I love everything you said. And, and those are all things I teach my son. We talk yeah. about living within your means. A lot of the things that we spend money on today aren't going to matter in one year, let alone in ten years. Right. You know. Yeah. And we live, and and I again, I, I'm not trying to. I've lived in Barrington for almost 28 years now, and you know. No, lots of people with lots of means, but I think it's really easy to get pulled into the sort of keeping up with the Joneses here, right? You know, and it's like, oh, you know, it's just a hundred bucks for this, hundred bucks for that. And, and that all makes sense. And, you know, I'll figure it out later kind of thing. The other thing that I would say, and, and I think this is very commonplace is you'll have one spouse in a married situation. You'll have one spouse who does most of the the money stuff, mm-hmm. you know, you might have one spouse who pays the bills, you know, so the other spouse doesn't, yeah, honey, you got it. You know, I, I trust you. It, it, it's all good. So this person has, uh, you know, maybe a lack of awareness of what's going on. You might have one person that does all the investing. Oh yeah, honey, don't worry about it. I, I you know, I'm investing for us. And so it doesn't really, um, th- there's no really collaboration happening there. And I think that if I can be blunt for women, ordinarily, 
Maybe they have the pocketbook, or as my grandma would call it, they're, they're paying the bills, but maybe they're not on the investment side as much. And there's like this dearth of um, uh, information that they really should be involved in for mm-hmm. themselves, right? Just to understand how everything's invested. What's our, what are our plans? So that's one thing that I endeavor to do. Yeah. Again, no, that's, that's great. I was talking to a friend, Marsha, about something similar a couple yeah. years ago when a friend of mine, her, uh, her partner died. She had, and they had a child together and they had no idea. She had no idea yeah. about money, where it was. Was there any, is there any, anything? She yeah. wasn't on any of the accounts. She knew nothing. And my friend was just um, saying it's a very common problem. It's a very common problem. And you're, you know, imagine being in that situation where you're already, you have a loss, perhaps a spouse passes away or something, right? And that's bad enough. And that's awful right there. And now right. on top of that, you have to figure out well, what was left behind, where are the accounts, right. you know, how is this all invested? Yeah, what was, a nightmare. Yeah, for, for real. Know? And they were married, so she doesn't even have any claim to any of the money in the bank account. She wasn't working. I mean, it was just, it was a crazy situation. Yeah. And thankfully things have turned around. She's doing well and everything. But, you know, what a scary time. And it just really is eye-opening <clears throat> that you have to be, you have to know. And those conversations, I think you should have with your with your spouse, your partner, whomever, to sure. know what's going on with the money. Yeah. Where is it? How much, you know, how much do we have? And you should know what you're spending. But then I'm concerned about what happens when you've got people who aren't prepared for retirement and oops, now they're 65, 67, whatever the deal might be. And they're not quite sure how it's going to work out for them. So I think as a planner, as a financial planner, by golly, if I could sit down with somebody and say, hey, here's how you can have this really nice life, get go out and do some fun discretionary things and, you know, and still reach retirement and live comfortably in retirement. Let's have that conversation now instead of when you're in your 50s or early 60s when it's like, oops, now we have to make some very painful decisions to get you there. Yeah, that's the dream, you know, and you get you get to your 50s fast. <laughs> I don't think Ask when me how you're I know. Um, right, when you're younger, you don't think about oh, yeah. how quickly. I remember being 20, I was 22 and I'm sitting in my office and I was getting my first 401k and and I went to the um the investment meeting and everything sure. the guys came in. I forget what company it was and or the investors and we listened and I remember thinking, "Oh, I can." And I went like the um I invested the most. You know how you can go like very safe and then you can go more risk That's right. as you get older, mm-hmm. right? So I was young, so I was like, oh, I'll be as risky as I can be. And and, I, yeah. and I'm glad that I did. I mean, I feel yeah. like I, I did the right thing at, at that point. But I'm thinking, oh my God, retirement, that's so many years away. And it's like now, oh my gosh, like I crossed the, the border of 50 already. How I am I, I'm almost 52. How did that happen? 25 years? Like this doesn't I, seem- I, I don't know. I, th- I think time <laughs> accelerates as you get older, especially when you have kids and you've got a lot to do in your life. It's gosh. like you turn around, it's like, oops. Another birthday, you know, how did that happen? You yeah, know? <laughs> I, it's it's weird. And even the weeks really do fly by. Oh, yeah. And I remember as a kid, right, you wake up and or going to work and Monday, like, oh, it's only Monday. And now I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's almost Friday. Honest to God, true story how I feel, my life goes. I wake up and it's like, oh, it's almost Friday. So enough about business. Let's yeah. talk about your hobbies because you are a man of different, like you're into music and you have you know, other things going on. So yeah. tell us. Yeah, well, oh, gosh, hobbies. Um. So I mentioned to you that Emily, my wife and I bought this uh, mid-century, this little gem in North Barrington. So I've been spending a lot of time, I mean, we have contractors and stuff like that, but I love doing that kind of work. Like I'm a frustrated amateur carpenter. I love doing carpentry. I like wiring. I like plumbing. To me, it's just fun. It's a completely different way to use your brain. It's just as demanding, but it's, it's, and then you've, of course, you have this gratification of looking at what you just did. And, wow, that's great, you know. So I love doing that. Um, I do play paddle tennis, not very well, but like down in South Barrington with with some of my friends. And is I, paddle tennis similar to pickleball? I'm it's not... similar, but it's played on a platform, okay. and the court's a little bit bigger, and you've got screens. So kind of like racquetball, you're hitting off the screens, oh, okay. and it's it's a really cool game. I love it. Um, but just got into that. And then I, my sort of personality is I, I, I've always liked nature. Like I said, my background's in biology. So I like being outdoors. Um, spent tons and tons of time in, in the mountains of Colorado and California and places like that. So I like hiking, like you know, mountaineering and uh, fly fishing. So 
And then uh, certainly last, last but not least, I'm a singer and a guitar player in what my daughter lovingly refers to as a dad band. <laughs> it's a dad band. That's okay. awesome. What's the name of your band? Uh, the Amnesiacs. Um, and so, you know, I'm in with, you know, three other guys who live around here and everything. What and, are their names? Oh, okay. So our, on Shout drums, out. we've got Marty Kimball. And then uh, on lead guitar, Dan Lutz. On bass, we've got Malcolm Boyle. Uh, Malcolm is a rock steady bass player. Literally never makes a mistake. Must be his engineering past or <laughs> something. Uh, Malcolm also plays in a couple other bands, but... Yeah, so, and we've been together for several years now, and our music is all over the map. It's kind of like, what do we want to play? Mm-hmm. We're not looking to, you know, gig out constantly and, you know, make 10 grand a night or anything like that. We're just enjoying playing. We like playing for our friends. And as Anthony and I were talking earlier, uh, Porch Fest that's mm-hmm. started last year, hopefully we'll play it again this July too. So, yeah, I'm hoping Porch Fest is coming back. We talked about it with Rachel yeah. as well. I thought I think it was the most fun, the single most fun thing Barrington did last year. Oh my gosh, yeah! yeah. You and know, because we used job to have the raw tent. Remember, we yeah. used to have the raw tent and the bands and all that. And um, through a variety of reasons, um, you know, it, that kind of disappeared. So we don't have a lot of outside music. Yes, it's true. We do have this, the concerts at the Metra tracks and and everything. But I think you know, the Porch Fest had such a sort of block party feel yes. to it. Yes, it did. And like Barrington needs an excuse to have another party. I don't think so. But so it was so much fun. It was so much fun participating in that. And, and hopefully again, we'll do it in God, July. It, it really was. It was so much fun. I think there was, I couldn't think of anything like negative about it. Yeah. It was, it was right outside my door. Everyone's walking yep. around. You're seeing neighbors. Right. You know, they're passing out free wine. The kids are getting <laughs> lemonade. Some one, one guy had pizza. Yeah. Like my son had pizza. It was like, this, it was so great. Yeah. And it was just genuine people saying, hey, like we're just enjoying life and and I think we had different st- different types of music there too. Yes. So it wasn't all just straight on rock bands. It right. was different things. It was I think there were a couple of solo acts with uh, keyboards. Yeah, things you know, like that. yeah. Lauren Brinjelson, she played mm-hmm. piano. I didn't That's get right. to see her. Yep. So and I know she has a grand in her house, a grand piano or baby grand. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm sure she brought her keyboard outside to play. But I remember talking to her afterwards okay. about it. Yeah. And then I know that um, Brittany Cohn actually um, she owns uh, the hair salon. And next door is where I rent my studio. So that's how I uh-huh. know her. But she, I had just showed up when she was done playing. So she was singing, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, a lot of different acts doing different, different genres. And yeah, but, but it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. And then there's always that sort of moment where someone goes, Hey, wait a sec. Uh, I didn't know you sang. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was fun stumbling upon you. I didn't, I didn't know you sang. <laughs> I know it's a, a closely guarded secret until today. Yeah, well, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I'm hoping. I know it was a lot of work. I know Anthony um, orchestrated a yeah. large part of what happened. I don't know all the details again of what he did, but he was a huge yeah. part of it. Right. And I'm really hoping that it can uh, it can come I back. I think it's got legs. I really do. And I think hopefully we'll have add a, be able to add a couple more houses this year. And but I think why not have an annual event? You know, I know it takes a lot of time, though. I know there were hours and hours, yes. you know, people. And do. I don't mean to speak for Anthony or Jay, the other organizer, but I, you're right. There's a whole lot about herding cats to make that thing happen and dealing with the village and, you know, the police department and everything else. But Yeah, it was big. And, you know, with the farmer's market not coming back this year, I feel like we, we need something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That would be sure. fun. Yeah, and the farmer's market, As you have you heard that? That's not no. coming back? Yeah, it's not coming back. My, so um, a friend of mine is, I don't know if she's the organizer or she's just one of them. I, I lose track of what people do. But uh, we were talking and she said that the farmers that are coming there are not getting this enough support from the, the locals. So they'll come out and then not many people show up that day and they've basically lost money now, right? Their yeah. produce is now not as fresh. Sure. They find another place to sell. Yeah, there's a big have... opportunity cost to that. And, yeah. And, so, and, is, and I'm not knocking anybody, um, but I, I have been, let's say, to Palatine's Farmer's Market and I think it's a really great experience. So I'm very sad to hear that it's not coming back. I wish there was some way that we could retool it. Yeah, no. well, they did. A, they sent a survey out mm-hmm. um, that just came out, I want to say, last week, and people are going to give their feedback and hopefully yeah. give ideas of how to make it come back. <clears throat> we I, used to go regularly, my son and I, when he was little, but I don't go that often anymore. And for a number of, re- I mean, number of reasons, 
but I don't, it's not really convenient for me. I mean, it's down yeah. the street from my house, so it's convenient in that sense. But if I'm out all day or I have something going on, then I come back, I'm already making dinner. Like I don't want to go in the evening to buy produce. Sure. You know and it's I mean? a challenge if it's Thursday at one o'clock and you've got a job or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you're not going to command the same audience as a, say a Saturday afternoon. And Lake Zurich's got one in, up in Paulus Park that yeah, does yeah, really Fridays. well. Yeah, yeah, Fridays. They do Friday. So, right. And that's probably a more convenient time for people, you know, to, to go to it. So. I'd like a Sunday one personally, but that's just me. Yeah, no, but I even got the you. church crowd could go right, go to church afterwards, stop at the farmers market. Why not? Get your kettle corn and your you know lettuce and go home. You know, I yeah, don't know. right. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I know that during COVID, you had done something with some musicians. Yes. So it was a charity. It was you were tell me about that. Yeah, thanks for asking. So, um, you know, so Lady Lady Gaga during during lockdown, she did a a, a concert from home. I don't know if you remember that or, but it was kind of like, Hey, we're going to do a concert from home. Everybody's on, on uh, a lockdown here. No one can go out and play, but people still like music. So a friend of mine, Kevin, 10 Brunsel approached me and said, Hey, listen, you know, he's in a band. He said, Hey, what if we reached out to musicians that we know and see if they wouldn't put together a video? Um, and then we could string them together like a program and then just air it. And so we did that. And we had, my gosh, we had like 40, 50 submissions. Wow. Um, Kevin's, you know, through his band, he's connected to some people in the city and uh, Jim Peterick, people like that. And was we were able to get some really polished, outstanding bands. And then, you know, we also had bands like mine that were admittedly a lot less polished, <laughs> but you know, whatever. I, and there were also like young people, 16, 17 year olds, like playing Taylor Swift songs on acoustic guitars That's awesome. and we aired it all. And then, so what we did with that was we decided to raise funds for, um, Northern Illinois food bank. So, um, you know, people would donate money. And I think our first year we did something around 17, $18,000 and that That's all great. went to the food bank, right? Because remember, during COVID, a lot of people did get laid off. Right. And, you know, it was hard for a lot of families to make ends meet. So we love doing it. So then we did it another year or two. And, and you know, we have it on nice to do it again. But um, I think sometimes since we did virtual concerts, I think people kind of got a little bit burnt out on doing virtual concerts. And then the reality is everything opened up again. Right. Live music came back. People started gigging. And so let's just hope it never closes down again. <laughs> yeah. It was a difficult period for everybody, oh you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Especially like the mental health for so many people really suffered. Yeah. I don't so. think that was weighed into, but I'm not going to go down that tangent. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay. So aside from the music videos that you put out during COVID, I know you do some, you work with some other charities. Right. So, you know, I think it's, if you, you're around long enough, you get involved in your community, right? So having been here almost 28 years, I started out coaching and all that kind of stuff, but I was involved for probably five or six years in religious education over at St. Anne's for my kids, religious education. I was um, uh, an executive board member over at Samaritan Counseling Center, which does such amazing work uh, for, for mental health and counseling here in the Barrington area. Uh, these days, though, in addition to the concert series we touched on earlier um, called Music Food for Life. And, and by the way, we do have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel for that. You could see all of our uh, concerts. I've been very involved in Big Shoulders Fund, which is an organization which helps provide scholarships for inner city Chicago kids to attend private schools. Very meaningful work. And um, as you might know, private schools don't always have the budget that public schools do because they're not taxpayer funded. So what we do is in addition to raising funds to help these kids be able to afford these schools is we'll go into schools and serve on, you know, the school boards, we'll do mentoring. We have all sorts of fun projects like stock market projects where we're teaching eighth graders as part of math curricula, um, how to invest money. We go into schools on weekends and we paint, we haul trash, we set up whiteboards, we try to provide another set of hands for these schools. So 
the outcome of the work that we do for Big Shoulders Fund is that on a shoestring budget, these schools are able to provide really excellent education. The you know, vast majority of their kids will end up graduating high school and going on to four-year schools. And that's a great thing. Yeah, that's that sounds amazing. And are these all in Illinois, Chicago schools? or? Well, yeah. So um, almost all of them are in the inner city of Chicago. So it could be Pilsen, it could be Englewood, it could be Lawndale, you know, could be on the north side. But recently, in the last two or three years, we started a Northwest Indiana initiative. So we're looking at private schools, you know, Gary Hammond in that area too. Okay. How many people are involved in this charity? Gosh, I would say between the three boards, um, you know, maybe two, three hundred. Wow. Yeah. And so we've got young people just coming out of college that are getting involved on the Ox board. And then we've got people on my board, which we jokingly refer to as the mid-career professionals. And then our big board is where the, the big donors are. Okay. So, and yeah. Where's the home base for this? The home base is in the city on Van Buren. Okay. So, and yeah. Somebody was interested in, in learning more about this. Where do they find the information? Bigshouldersfund.org. Yeah. You'll see all about it. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. So um, who is your, your uh, who influences you musically and then outside of music? Oh, boy. That's a tough question. Um, can I do outside of music first? Sure. That's much easier. Uh, hands down, my parents. God rest their souls. Um, <clears throat> so my me. parents were born during the Depression, and they both came from nothing. My dad was born and, well, raised in a uh, town in northern Texas uh, during the Depression. And my mother, uh, he was an only child, and he had no money in his family. My mother was one of five kids from the south side of Chicago. She was the oldest and had a ton of responsibility. Um, they really ingrained in me this sense of um, being grateful for what you have and for hard work. I think my mother is the hardest working person I've ever met in my life. Like when I think about her life story and what she did and how she raised five kids and everything, I just so much respect that I could never have really appreciated, you know, until I had my own kids. So I would say my parents for sure. Um, musically, this might sound kind of strange, but I really like people who are iconoclasts, who are willing to take a chance and just do it. It could be a Lady Gaga, again, just doing what she does. It could be a David Bowie, just having conviction about where to go in a musical direction. I also like people who say, oh, the heck with it, I'm just going to do my own thing and I don't care. So that could be like bands like the Ramones, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, someone who strikes their own uh, pathway forward and has belief in what they're doing and then just does it. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, what purchase of $100 or less has been most impactful in your life in the last year? Wow. Okay. So remember uh, we were talking about the, the Amazon truck showing up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it seems like everything's $100 or less. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of a hard one to think of. Um, but you know, what I really like are those little uh, um, Amazon Echoes, like the, the, what do you call it? The... Alexa machines, okay. you know, where you could just say, hey, Alexa, play, you know, music by Stevie Wonder or something. And then instantaneously you start hearing Stevie Wonder music or, you know, play, you know, the radio or, or whatever the deal might be. So those things are not expensive at all. And I now have one down in my tool room. I have one in the garage. I've got, you know, a couple different places in the house and I can just always have music around me or getting informed, you know, on world events, no matter where I am at home. So to me, for less than a hundred bucks, that thing is priceless. Okay. And let's see. So what was the best advice you ever received? Which is a pokey question, but yeah, give us something. Um, <laughs> best advice, um, you know, besides the financial advice about, you know, saving early saving, and that yeah. kind of stuff. I would say it's not so much advice as it is kind of like an orientation to reality. I, I think this is a Clint Eastwood quote. Tomorrow is promised to no one. You know? So the takeaway, my takeaway is, listen, man, if you want to do something, do it. 
And, and if you've got anything in your life that's sort of bothering you or you have regrets, go fix it. Mend fences with people. You know, tell people in your life that you love them. Yeah. You know, reach out. Don't wait around and, and you know, hey, in five years, I'll go do something fun like climb a mountain. <laughs> no, man, go do it now while you still can, you know? Yeah, let me add to your thing, like apologize. Yeah, right? of course. You someone and, and that's apology. hard for people. But it man, is. I tell you what, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you had the chance, but you didn't do it. Because maybe, you know, they pass away or something. Yeah. Not to be too heavy, but no, really, you're, that's it's like... True. You know, if you can live for today in some respects, you know, this is what your life should be all about. Yeah. Okay. So we have a little segment that I call burst mode, which Uh is when you're shooting on your camera, you can um, set your camera to shoot really fast. Sure. Okay. So it's like a speed round. These are very quick responses. As I was... um, I have a habit of going on after you give me your answer. I usually talk (laughs) about it too long. So I kind of negate the whole speed round thing, but we'll try. So what is a skill that you wish you had? Sight reading music. Okay. Your first car. Oh, dear God. It was a, I'm almost embarrassed. So back in, and when I was growing up, my dad bought a Fiat sedan for the five Scobie children. And we all took turns fighting over it. Mm. And it was just a crummy little car, but we were kids and we didn't care. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I always answer these myself in my head, you know, when I'm putting, putting <laughs> yeah. it together. Mine was a 79 Plymouth Horizon. All right. That was like uh, the most ugly. That's like the Dodge Hominy. Yes, it's it is. It's a Plymouth version yes. of the Dodge Hominy. It was so ugly. Yeah, no. It was no, so ugly. I had a friend who had one of those. <clears throat> I had, um, and I, grew, I was like in the city, Schiller Park, Franklin Park area. Okay. And I remember we'd be cruising down Harlem Avenue and all the guys would be in their IROX or Xerox and, you know, their, their Trans Ams and they're driving around. And I had a bumper sticker that said like, my hamster's going as fast as it can. <laughs> That's oh funny. But we had fun. Then I went from that to a 75 Buick LeSabre and that thing was a tank and that he could haul. He yeah. could haul like you couldn't believe. So anyway, best pizza in town. Wow. That's a tough question. And I'm going to split it up. I love Lou Malnati's over in Lake Zurich, although that's not really Barrington. For Thin Crust, I really do like Pizza Factory because it reminds me of the pizza that I grew up with um, down in Park Ridge. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the last group or album that you intentionally listened to? The last group or album I intentionally listened to, oh boy, here's embarrassing, uh, probably some disco stuff on, hey, Alexa, play you know, disco music. And okay. Emily and I are da- dancing? dancing around in, yeah. the, in the kitchen making dinner. Yeah. Aww. We do that a lot, actually. That's awesome. And sometimes it's hall notes and sometimes it's Bee Gees. It's just whatever corny music we have. Hey, Bee Gees are cool. They're great. I know. I brought my son when he was four or five to see Barry Gibb. Yeah. I love Barry Gibb. I mean, if I, I go I down gonna... a nerdy music rabbit hole with you, listen to the Bee Gees' very first record from 1967. Oh, their old stuff is really good. It's ridiculous. Before the disco. It's ridiculously yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I was going to marry Andy Gibb. Actually, Andy Gibb and Sean Cassidy. I was going to marry them both. Look I had you. I had some, I was progressive in that way, I guess, as a child and <laughs> thought I could do that. But Barry Gibb, my goodness. Oh. You know, he was great though. The show was great. And he had a woman um, that sounded so much like Barbara Streisand. So when they sang their duet, now I can't think of what their duet was. What was their big duet? On Guilty. Guilty. The album was Guilty. My mom had the album. I can picture Barry and Barbara. He's wearing all white. I think hairy chest open, big hair. And I think the song, the album was Guilty. The song might have been called Guilty. I can't remember. Anyway, I'm going off on my little tangent here, but it was a great show. And then she sang a lot of Barbara songs too. So it was great. Anyway, uh, favorite beverage aside from your son, Sauvignon Blanc. (laughs) Um, I am a wine drinker. So I, I think, um, you know, good Italian red wines, they're very approachable. Um, that, would, that would be kind of my go-to, you know? Okay. High school celebrity crush. So someone in high school or someone I had a crush when on When you while were in high school, who oh was your boy. celebrity crush? Let's go with Stevie Nicks. Okay. Yeah, she was great. Well, she still is. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing at myself because I used to you know, sing to her, like, Dreams, her song Dreams, Fleetwood Mac, I thought that was my 
I was going to be a singer. Uh, what are you currently reading? I'm reading um, The Long Goodbye by Raymond Chandler, who wrote sort of private eye novels in the 1940s and 50s set in Los Angeles. That's what I'm reading. Okay. And last time you flew, where did you go? Los Angeles. Yeah, I was going to say to visit your kids, right? Yeah. Okay, which song comes on that you always have to crank up the volume? Oh, boy, something from early Van Halen. You know, it could be Ain't Talking About Love, that one for sure. It could be Panama, mm-hmm. you know, Running With the Devil. But, yeah. So much good music. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Rachel, um, she was big into rock. That's her favorite genre of music. Yeah. Rachel Kuna, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it seems like so many people... We still love it because it's good music. Yeah. I think it was a primacy thing. In other words, like this is what you kind of got into when you were younger and it just sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah. My husband um, doesn't want me to introduce so much of what I like to Elijah music wise. You know, we play some very mellow stuff and fun stuff in the house, but I still, I like to crank up Metallica. I like to crank yeah. up what I listen to. Sure. Ozzy and my son will be singing Crazy Train. And my husband's like, what? What's he singing? Where do you hear that? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, Elijah, Ixnay on the, on the, on the metal. Come on. Okay. So uh, what is something simple that makes you happy? Being with my dog. Aww. Petting her. Yeah. What you do you, know, you, you find dog? Um, Penny's an Australian shepherd. She's our third Aussie. We've. We've basically had them for 28 years now. Wow. Yeah, just really great dogs. Um, a lot of work because they're very bright and very willful dogs. Yeah, do they like to run a lot? Do you have to go take them on long runs? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, not so much runs as walks, but yeah. You okay. know, she needs a ton of exercise. She's very energetic and she's very observant. Um, as a herding dog, she sees everything. You yeah, know? you know, speaking of herding dogs, so... Um, this is again, me going off. There was, um, I had, I was going to someone's house to buy something from marketplace or something. And when I got back to my car, they had, they were a corner house and they had a herding dog and I think they had just one, but that dog ran the perimeter of that property. I sat in my car entertained for probably three or four minutes, just watching this dog nonstop running from side to side. And all I could think of is my God, to take that dog running, you'd never, like you could never catch up with that dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're so entertaining. They have so much energy and it doesn't matter if it's a big herding dog or like a corgi or something like that. They just want to get out and work. Okay. Yeah. We grew up, we had dogs. We always had mutts, never had anything that I could really put a label on, but they're such great animals. I wish we could have one now, but my dog, my son well, has allergies. It really allergies. helps now that we're empty nesters, having that, that other presence in the house. Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I think that this has been a fun conversation, Ed. Yeah. I hope I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's wonderful. So, it's some great questions, and I, I, I love you know, having an opportunity to talk a little bit. Yeah, it's good to get to know you better. Before yeah. we go, though, tell everyone where they can find you, uh, your business, give us a website and information like that. Sure. So our business, the physical address or physical location is in the Ice House, so right by the Jewel in downtown Barrington. Um, on a little side street called Appleby, like the restaurant. Uh, but our website is Ironwood F as in Frank, W as in Whiskey, A as in Alpha. So ironwoodfwa.com. If you want to learn more about Dave, Andrews, and me and the work that we do for our clients. Okay, and what if somebody wants to hear you play? Do you have any well, gigs coming we're up? Gonna, yeah, hopefully we're going to be playing at, at, at Porch Fest. Unfortunately, we've had to take a little bit of a hiatus because of... Uh, parent health issues that we're pitching in, you know, individually. Um, but, you know, getting back together here shortly and hopefully we'll be playing, as I said, Porch Fest in July. Excellent. Well, we yeah. need to all hope and pray that it does return. Yes, thanks. And um, Ed, I'm so glad you came in today. It was nice to get to know you better, like I said. You too, Jennifer. So thank you so much. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you.